locked and you'll have to wait till tomorrow and hopefully tomorrow it will be here. So I say that just to say be sure you take your stuff with you. You can put it outside the door but just this building will be locked at um, 10 p.m. So just a reminder about that. If it's your first time to RUF, I want to particularly welcome you. We're really glad you're here. Uh, last week we spent the whole night basically talking about what is RUF, what we're about, what makes us tick, so to speak. Uh, and if you weren't here, there's lots of ways we say this during the semester. But basically, uh, we are a group of people that believe that you're never so good, that you're beyond uh, the need of God's grace. And at the very same time, you're also never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And so we want to be a safe place for you to come, no matter where you find yourself, uh, to come and explore the truth claims of Christianity. Come figure out and give you the space to figure out what you believe about Jesus, what you believe about uh, the Bible. Uh, so with that in mind, turn with me, if you have your Bible with you, to the book of Exodus, second book of your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the announcement sheet. The text is printed for you. We're going to be doing a study this semester through the Ten Commandments. Um, I've got, I think I mentioned this last week, and you'll hear a lot if you keep coming to RUF, and if you've been coming for years, you hear me talk about my girls a lot, basically because they're walking illustrations, <laughs> and uh, you'll hear me talk about them in illustrations quite a bit. Uh, but I have four girls, the oldest is 11, the youngest is about to be five, and as you can imagine, in the last 11 years, uh, and this is, you know, varied at different times, but they have, there have been times when they have been really into puzzles, uh, working puzzles. They wanted them for their birthday or for Christmas or whatever. And of course, these puzzles are pretty simple to figure out and can be figured out by you and I in just a matter of minutes. Um, but you know, as well as I do, uh, that the more pieces that are involved in a puzzle, the harder it is to work and more difficult it is. Uh, and it's nearly impossible, let's say, for example, if you had a thousand-piece puzzle uh, and someone gave that to you and you were to start working on that, it would be impossible to work and to finish that puzzle without what? The box top. <laughs> the picture of the puzzle. Sure, you might be able to get the straight edges pretty quickly, of course, but the longer you tried to work it without the picture, the more frustrated you would become, the more confused you would be, uh, and you would eventually probably just throw your hands up and say, I'm done. <laughs> I'm so tired of this. Why do I tell you that story? Well, basically, because the Ten Commandments and studying the Ten Commandments, uh, it's also true. Here's what I mean. Uh, before we jump in and start going through the commandments one by one, it's important for us to lay the foundation. It's important for us to take this week and to step back and to look at the box top, so to speak. To step back and look at the bigger picture. Because as we step back and look at the big picture, it helps us make sense of the commandments themselves. And so tonight, we're actually going to look at what's called the prologue to the Ten Commandments, the first two verses. 
And so let me read those first two verses if you have um, them in front of you. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. This is God's holy and inspired word. And God spoke all of these things, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Let me pray for us and ask God to come and be with us during our time. Let's pray together. Father, um, in heaven, you tell us that we cannot even really understand your word unless you show up and unless you come and work through your spirit. And so I pray that you would come and meet with us, that you would um, reveal um, this passage to us, that you would bring clarity to it, that you tell us that all Scripture is breathed out by you and is useful for teaching and correcting and training and rebuking. Uh, all those things we pray that you would come and do in our midst as we look at this passage. But more than anything, uh, show us that we're a bigger mess than we realize. But at the very same time, uh, show us that in you is more grace and mercy than we could possibly imagine. Would you do these things in the name of Jesus? Amen. Three things that we're going to look at tonight. You can see the outline printed for you on your uh, announcement sheet. But there are three things that help us make sense of the Ten Commandments that kind of set the stage for our semester, so to speak. The purpose we're going to see tonight, the motivation, and lastly, the hope. So let's look at those three. Let's look at number one, the purpose. Uh, this semester, more than anything else, uh, the lesson is really, really simple. And if you don't, I hope you remember a lot more, but if you don't remember anything else this semester in your time through this study, and I say this because there are lots of ways for us to approach and there have been a way, lots of ways that people have approached a study of the Ten Commandments. But more than anything, what I want you to get this semester is simply this. The Ten Commandments are so much more than an arbitrary religious code of conduct. Way more than that. And that's often the way they are looked at. The Ten Commandments are God's design for your life. The Ten Commandments, contrary to what you might think, are a picture that God holds out for us of the beautiful life. The Ten Commandments, to say it another way, are the way that life works best. That's what God is wanting to communicate through the commandments. C.S. Lewis says it this way, which I think is amazing. The moral laws... The moral law in the Bible is the same thing as the Ten Commandments. Lewis says the moral laws are there for the proper working of the human machine. Isn't that amazing? For the proper working of the human machine. You see, just like any complicated precision instrument, the facets of your humanity hang together in such a way that when you honor your design... Your life is blessed. Things tend to go well for you. But if you dishonor your design in the way God has made you and what He has held out as the beautiful life, your life will be full of destruction. It will be full of alienation 
and dysfunction in all of your relationships. As I mentioned, I'm a father of all girls, and so uh, we have watched and listened to the Frozen soundtrack <laughs> more times than I care to count. And of course, that's a little bit old uh, of, a, uh, of a movie now, and the girls are like, that was so yesterday. And so um, it's not as cool now, but when it was in and when it was the thing, you know, we had Frozen everything, all these costumes. And um, so I know the movie Frozen. <laughs> And Princess Elsa, if you remember, when she's singing that song that went to the top of the charts, Let It Go, if you remember the movie, as she's singing um, the, the verses to that song, she's a little hesitant, maybe a little insecure, hesitant as she's singing, but what happens when she moves towards the chorus? She gets more self-assured. She grows louder. Her voice grows louder and louder and louder. And she sings those famous words. It's, I'm not going to sing it, by the way. <laughs> it's time to see. Don't you just want me to try, but I'm not. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. Now, why in the world do I share that story? Because I think Princess Elsa gives you a clear picture of the modern, secular, Western mindset. Autonomy, individuality, freedom, the mindset that assumes that the path to human flourishing involves expressing your freedom and your true self. And you see, the thought is that to... We've got to be free. We've got to be free of any external authority or an expectation that is going to push back and hold us back from really living life and constrain us from being who we really are. In other words, friends, the defining aspiration for your generation, I think, can be summed up in one word, and that is freedom. For the most part, you don't want anyone telling you what to do. No one has the right to compel you into any kind of thinking or action. But here's what I want you to hear. The reality is this, that in pursuit of your freedom, you have actually lost your freedom. What do I mean by that? Well, let's work it out. Barry Swartz, he's a famous uh, American psychologist, and he's known for this TED Talk called The Paradox of Choice. You can find it on YouTube. And in this uh, TED Talk, he basically puts forth for us the image of a fish in a fishbowl. And he asks this simple question. How free is the fish? And yes, of course, you know that the fish is in a fishbowl. And so it is confined. But if you were to free the fish from that fishbowl, and shatter the fishbowl, what would happen if you removed all the constraints from the fish, which is living inside its design in the water, correct? Yeah, I mean, you know what would happen. If you shatter the fishbowl and remove the constraints, it would not improve the fish's situation. In fact, it would destroy the fish. And Swartz says this, listen to what he says, the absence of some metaphorical fishbowl is a recipe for misery. And I suspect a recipe for disaster. What's the point? There is a kind of freedom that doesn't make you free. 
Instead, it's a kind of freedom that fails to honor your design. And instead of giving you life like you think it's going to give you, what happens, and you know this, you've either seen this happen or you've experienced it, experienced it yourself or are experiencing it at currently. But you think, if I just have my freedom and I can pursue life, instead of giving you life, it actually eats away at your soul and makes you a shadow of what you were intended to be. You see, your autonomy and your freedom can't break the curse. And instead, it ends up crushing you and making you a prisoner inside your own heart, a prisoner of your own making. I love this quote by the poet W.H. Alden. Each in the cell of himself is, and here's the key word, almost convinced of his freedom. It reminds me of the Pennsylvania public school system. Uh, They had on one part of their property this huge playground. And it had no fences around it for years. And then finally the, school, the neighborhood started to grow and their cars started to go by more frequently and there was more traffic. And so the school board got worried thinking someone's going to get hurt. A kid's going to run out in the street and they're going to get hit by a car. We need to do something. And so they put up a huge fence around the, play, the playground. And when they did that, to their surprise, the parents were irate. They were upset and actually offended because the fence made it look like their children were playing inside of a prison. It got so heated that the city school board decided to take down the fence. The next day after taking down the fence, what do you think happened? The children actually huddled together in a tiny, tiny clump in the middle of the playground because they were so deathly afraid of the expanse of all the playground all around them. You see it? The fence actually gave them the playground. That's the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not an arbitrary religious code of conduct, but they're the fence that God in His grace has given us in order to show us how life works best. Or to put it another way, they're the fence that God's given us to give you the freedom that you so desperately long for. And friends, if you keep coming back this semester... There is an ocean of blessing awaiting you. An ocean of blessing as the Ten Commandments hold out for us the beautiful life, the path to the beautiful life. Number one, the purpose. Secondly, the prologue. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20 of Exodus. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And if you hadn't been paying attention, like now's the time to lock in with me. These two verses are so critical to the study of the Ten Commandments, I can't even begin to overstate how critical they actually are. Why are they so important? Well, here's what I want you to think about. 
This really was mind-blowing when I first saw this for the first time. Before God, did you notice, before He gives them commandment number one, before He ever tells them anything that they are to do, He says, I love you. I've already redeemed you. I've already brought you out of slavery. I've already set my love upon you. He says, I love you and I want to be with you. You're my people. Now go be the right kinds of people. See the order? It's absolutely astonishing and beautiful that the commandments begin that way because here's why it's so important. What this means is that you and I, the commandments are not a way to earn God's love and favor. Let me say it another way. The commandments flow out of a relationship with God. They don't form a relationship with God. They flow out of God's love for you and who He's made you to be. They don't earn God's love and favor. In other words, the commandments don't begin with the law. They begin with the gospel. They begin with grace, and the order is everything in the Christian life. And as we go through our study this semester, the gospel, then law. And what's interesting, if you're still not convinced, did you notice that the Ten Commandments don't show up until chapter 20? You know what the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus is about? It's about God's love for His people. It's about a gracious, giving, loving God who fulfills His promise to rescue His people from Egypt. So for the first 19 chapters, God is saying, you're my people, I love you, nothing's ever going to change that. And then finally we get to Exodus chapter 20, He reminds them one more time in the first two verses, and then He says, okay, now here's how you should live. Why do I go into that? Well, here's why. Because if you reverse the order, and some of you are sitting here tonight and you have reversed the order, but if you reverse the order and you say law, then gospel, then you become self-righteous, arrogant, and prideful, and you become what is known as legalistic. What is a legalist? Well, a legalist says, I'm going to obey God, I'm going to be good, so that God will hear my prayer. So that God will give me an A on that big test. So that God will fix my family. So that God will give me a job. So that God will give me a ring by spring. So that God will get me, <laughs> so that God will get me into heaven. A legalist says, I'm going to be good, therefore God is going to be good to me. See what's happening? You're actually putting God in your debt. And here's how you know you've done it if you've put law before gospel. When you've done everything you're supposed to do, everything you think God's called you to, and yet you don't get what you want. And when you don't get what you want, you get angry. And you get mad at God and you're tempted to turn your back on Him and walk away from the faith. Why are you mad at God? Well, because you're serving him to get things from him. You're not serving him in order to just simply get him. You love the gifts, but you don't love the giver of the gifts. And so you put God in your debt 
Always thinking that God owes you. Friends, if you put law before gospel, it is to your detriment. Because the law will end up either crushing you and leading you to despair, or it will lead you to pride and arrogance and self-righteousness. Why do I say that? It will crush you because you will look at the law and you will never be able to obtain it. And you'll always be frustrated because you're always trying and you never can do it. And so you know what will start to happen? Is you'll start to see God and you'll start to see the law as always demanding. As God is this taskmaster uh, who is never pleased with you. And you know what you'll do? You'll start to hate Jesus. And you'll start to hate Christianity. It's what happened to me. I was ready because I did not get this. I was ready. I said, if this is what Christianity is about, I'm done because I'm miserable. Because I was on a treadmill, never thinking God was pleased with me. And so I thought I was earning His favor. And so you'll start to hate it and you'll be ready to quit. Or you might think, and I say think because you really don't know the depth of your heart and how deep the commandments really go, but if you think you're obeying the commandments, then you'll be self-righteous, prideful, and people will not be able to stand being around you because of your arrogance. And so Christianity's neither. It's not despair and it's also not... Uh, legalism or self-righteousness. It's a whole nother way because Christianity comes and it's different because it says God loves you. His face is shining upon you. You are secure and nothing can ever change that. Your identity is secure. Now, because of that great love for you, now go love Him by trying to obey Him. And how do you obey Him? Well, He gives you this beautiful life called... The Ten Commandments. Thirdly, the hope. Okay, so we're thinking about the law, and if part of the law is to show us what it means to follow Jesus and teaches us how to live, um, the other thing we need to think about is there's one thing, though, that the law is not able to do, and we need to be clear about this. The law cannot save you. It cannot rescue you. It is powerless to do so. And so what is one of the purposes of the law besides showing you how to live? Well, it also says, look at the law and let it point you and show you your need for Jesus. In other words, the law is like a mirror. And so this semester, as we come in here and we look at the commandments and we put our life up to it, we're going to see, I don't know if I'm doing so well. And in that moment, that's actually a good thing. And the reason why it's a good thing, because it's showing you your need and it's saying, don't hope in yourself. Go hope in Jesus who has met the law for you. Let me work this out. In order for us to grasp this and understand this, you need to understand, and I think this is important to work out, God's people including us, are obligated to obey the law perfectly. Hang with me. Why? Well, think about God. If you're in a, He's in a relationship with us. We're in covenant with God. What is God? He's 100% righteous and holy, totally perfect. In Him there is no evil, there is no darkness, there is no sin. And so He can have nothing to do with sinful people. In His presence. Hang with me. Okay, this is going to come together. 
And so we're obligated to keep the law. What's the problem with that? We're in trouble. Because we can't. And because we haven't. Friends, if I'm honest, just today I have broken every one of the commandments. I've broken all of them. You have probably broken them too. And so here's the dilemma. If God has obligated us to keep the law, but we can't obey it, what in the world did he give us the law for if it's only to condemn us? Ah, there's the question. Why did God give us the law? He gave you the law so that you would believe in Jesus. He gave you the law to point you to the gospel. You see, that's what the law is given to us. It's point us to Jesus who came into the world to break the power and the penalty of sin. Jesus came into the world. And if you ever wondered why Jesus, why he just died, didn't die on the cross at like age 15, why did he have to live to 33? Why couldn't God just have gotten it over with? Because Jesus came into the world and he was sinless and he had to live a perfect life, obeying the Ten Commandments perfectly, dotting every I, crossing every T, because, and he had to do that, and he had to earn a record of righteousness, a perfect record of obedience. Why? Because you and I didn't, and you and I couldn't. And he goes to the cross, and he dies the death that you and I deserve for being lawbreakers. And so here it is. So that when you believe in Jesus by faith, when you give up hope in yourself, and you say, Jesus, you're my righteousness... When you believe in Him by faith, you know what happens? He pardons you from all your sin. Doesn't parole you. A lot of people think about being parole, like, oh, I messed up, I'm back in prison again. No, 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 that's not the gospel. He pardons you from all of your sin. And not only that, here's the best news of all. He gives you His perfect record of obedience that He has earned for you so that from this day forward, when God looks at you, He says, come into my presence because He sees you wholly because you are in Christ. Isn't that amazing news? I want to close with this illustration. Uh, story. Steve Brown. I don't know if you know Steve Brown. He's the head of Key Life Ministries. He was one of my professors in seminary. And he's a pastor and he's a speaker and you know, sends out newsletters and all these kinds of things. And I read this, something that he wrote. And I want to read it and then I'll comment on it. Listen to this. He says, She was only 26 years old. She was a Christian working in a church. After college, she had served a year on the mission field. I didn't know her very well, but I liked her a lot. She was a strong witness for Christ, and she was an articulate spokesperson. And this morning, I got a call that she had taken her life. I was absolutely devastated. I did not understand. If it, and, is, and if that wasn't enough, shortly after getting news of the suicide, I got a call from a man on my radio show, and he said, Steve, I haven't told anyone this, but I am going to tell you. I've decided to leave my wife and I told God that if I got a hold of you on your radio show that I would do whatever you told me. And so Steve asked him, what prompted you to leave your wife? 
He said, I became a Christian at age 14, and all of my life I've been seeking to live up to the expectation of others. I've worked in full-time ministry, I've taught the Bible, and everyone thinks I'm a model Christian, and I am just sick of it. I've decided to do something for myself for a change. Two weeks after that, he receives another letter with no address, and they do not give their name. Dear Steve, please pray for me. I'm on the edge, a total failure as a Christian. I have failed as a husband and as a father, and God probably has given up on me as well. I feel so very alone, abandoned. It's a horrible feeling that words cannot describe. Please do not judge me. Please pray for me. And he goes on and he says, at first, all three of those incidents, he did not think they were, laid, they were related, but as he was praying for them and their families, he realized that in the silence of his prayers that it all came back to the same problem. And that is that they had created a false standard of perfection. Or they had accepted someone else's standard and they had concluded that they had not lived up to that standard. And my question and his question to us was, what advice would you give them? What would you have said if you would have gotten to talk to the lady before she committed suicide? What would you say to the man who was contemplating leaving his wife or to the anonymous correspondent that wrote in and said, he was on the edge and felt like a total failure. What would you have said? Well, here's what most Christians would say. Try harder. You're not trying hard enough. Pray more. Read your Bible. Do some more spiritual things. Friends, I can guarantee you that every one of those people had tried harder. A lot. Secondly, maybe we would have said, well, you need to trace this back to some sin in your life, unconfessed sin, and draw some conclusions about your spiritual depression. That's why you're, you feel like a spiritual failure. Or maybe we would have said, which is also common, you need more faith. You just need to believe harder. What would Jesus have told them? We don't have to wonder because Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11. Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and listen to this, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, perfectionism and performance is a horrible disease. Steve Brown goes on to say in that letter, and it is from the pit of hell and it smells like rotting flesh. You see, someone had convinced these folks that they were called to measure up to some unattainable standard. And all of them couldn't do it, and so for different reasons, they handled it in different ways, but they all basically said the same thing, I'm out. If that's Christianity, I'm done. Because I'm tired and I can't do it anymore. You know what no one told them? And what I want to share with you this evening, because maybe you feel like you're in the same boat. No one told them that Jesus was perfect for them. And because Jesus was perfect for them, they did not have to be perfect themselves. Jesus was perfect for you. So you don't have to be perfect yourself. You see, they didn't understand that Jesus makes you free. And when Jesus makes you free, then you are freed indeed. 
How does Jesus make you free? Well, because Jesus was strong for you. And because of that, you're free to be weak. Jesus won for you. And because of that, you're free to lose. Jesus was someone. And so you're free to be no one. You don't have to make a name for yourself. Because Jesus has already made a name for you. Jesus was extraordinary. And that frees you and I to be ordinary. Jesus succeeded for you. And because He succeeded for you, you and I are free to fail. Friends, there is a reason why it's called the good news. Because it really is that good. And this semester, if you keep coming back, we're, are going, we are going to talk about our response to such a loving, gentle, and merciful Savior. We're going to see that our response is found in the beautiful life called the Ten Commandments. Let's pray.